we need a little Christmas right this very moment. Isn't that true? This year, more than almost any year. And I want you to know that if you've joined us online and maybe you're in your kitchen right now or the bedroom or the living room, the family room, out in the garage, that you are with us in this room. And I, I know that sounds a little cheesy or corny, but it's, it's absolutely true. We just want you to know our heart that um, we believe that, as we talked about last week, there are a lot of things that can separate us physically, uh, like this virus and having to quarantine. And um, it seems like every week I hear of another family or an individual in our church who's either had to quarantine or have gotten COVID. And uh, we just want you to know, God bless you, we're with you. And we are, we continue to be as one family. And I think we all long for Christmas, right? And you can have that and, and it's going to come. It's going to be uh, just a part of winter that we can we can just kind of step back and, and just bless God for, for being here. Every Tuesday we have staff meeting, and usually we go out after staff meeting to lunch together. So this past Tuesday, we just went down the street for a sandwich to uh, a firehouse, and the lady was asking me my order, which is almost the same thing, the same every time I go. You know, it's pretty much memorized. And so when I tell I give my order, and then they ask your name, I always say, Handsome Dan, uh, so that when she brings the sandwich out, she has to call Handsome Dan, and I go, oh, stop, stop, oh, yeah, yeah, just same joke, never gets old. Uh, this time, I asked the lady, I said, because they're playing Christmas music, and I said, do you listen to this Christmas music the entire time you're here? Without looking up from, you know, doing what she was doing, she said, all day. The guy next to her who's making the sandwiches never looked up, and he said, all day, every day, <laughs> just like that. And I thought about how music is such an important part of our lives, especially at Christmas. You know, it just really wraps up uh, this, this season, and it, and it just gives it such definition, and we love Christmas music, but I could see how those folks were getting just a little bit overwhelmed, you know, just getting a little, I thought, it's just December and you're already burning out on Christmas music. Christmas music is really such a such a, a huge part, an important part of our faith, uh, our celebration. And you find even in some of the songs we sang this morning, this this beautiful, this strong theology that's wrapped up uh, in in those words. You know that was true. Even on the very first Christmas, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but on the very first Christmas, they had Christmas music. There were songs before, during, surrounding the, the time, and then after the, the, the birth of Jesus. So that's one of the identifying things about this day uh, that's kind of unique over other holidays is that there's always, from the very start, been music attached to it. Now, this series we're doing, we're calling Great Joy. Great Joy. We want to end the year with great joy. And it looks at Christmas and the stories through the songs that were sung in the Gospels. These songs reveal uh, the songwriter's heart for Messiah, who they had believed, you know, he, he's coming, and he is coming, and he's the hope of the world. One of those songs is probably familiar to you. 
It's called um, the Magnificent, and it's by Mary. And we don't know if Mary, you know, my version says Mary said when she does this, but the, the, the song, this passage itself is written almost like a psalm. Uh, it's it's very it has that rhythm to it, uh, as if something would have been sung. So let me read this with you together. And of all the things you'll hear from this moment forward, my comments are way second, third, fourth place in connection to Scripture. So this is the best thing uh, that you're going to hear. So tune in uh, to to this and to what God said. And here's the song. It says, "And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord." And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. The big idea of the message today is that Mary's song is beautifully recorded. We don't know the tune. We don't know how to sing along with her, but we've got the words. We've got the exact words, and we can't help uh, but see Jesus and see ourselves in the same way that Mary did from Mary's perspective. And the point is, I hope we are able to step into this week with sort of a, a renewed vision We're going to magnify Jesus this Christmas. And I know you hear guys like me say that every Christmas, right? We've got to put Christ back in Christmas. I'm serious about it. (laughs) We really want to magnify Jesus this year. Uh, And maybe you've already started that or you do that. That's just part of who you are. Or maybe it needs to be refreshed and to say, you know what? This year, it's been a tough year. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to lift up the, the name of Jesus. Now, I use ESV really often. It's one of my favorite, probably my favorite version because I like the readability of it, but I like the accuracy of it. And the heading in, in my particular, uh, this version, and I am using ESV today, uh, says, Mary's Song of Praise, the Magnificent. Now, while those words are just a description, okay, that is not inspired scripture, uh, it, it does capture this passage pretty well. Magnificent is not a word we use every day, but it's a Latin liturgical description that's taken from the Latin Vulgate. In verse 46, Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord. And the New Testament, as you probably know, was originally written in, in Greek. And the verb that's used here means to make great or to magnify, to magnify. 
Now, when I was a kid, everybody at one point had a magnifying glass, right? I don't know if that was just unique to my generation or if it's still a thing. I'm seeing even college students nodding going, oh, yeah, we all had magnifying glasses. And did you, did you learn how to go out into the sun and focus it so you could burn up ants or whatever it is? You know, it's just this, this almost div- div- divine kind of, you know, okay. So, so you had that. And and you could see things and pull things up closer. Uh, I was with my grandsons the other night, and we were looking at money and all of the, you know, the tiny little details that are, that are imprinted there on a dollar bill or even on a coin. And we didn't have a magnifying glass, so I just take my phone and take a picture of it, and then you can spread it out and go in really close and see all the details. You understand that. That's exactly kind of an image that you, that you get that what this means. It means... To make something larger, to look closer, to make something great. In fact, the English word magnify comes from the Latin word magnus, which means great or large. So, when we worship Christ, we're placing a magnifying glass over him so that we can see and exalt the wonder, just everything, the, the complexity of who he is, the goodness and the holiness and the love of who he is. Now, if somebody had told me when I was eight or nine or ten years old with a magnifying glass out, just looking at bugs and whatever I could, could find and just how fascinating that is, that one day I would have magnifying glasses built into, you know, what I wear on my face every day. <laughs> but I do. You know, the bottom half of my glasses, that's what they're for, so that I can read this tiny scripture. And why I chose this particular Bible, I don't know, because it's really little. But it helps me to see things close up. And I think that's where, you know, God's grace, where, where you are able, through your spirit, to magnify Jesus and to bring him in close and to see him more clearly. So that's what happens when we magnify Jesus. We're looking at him up close. And we're going to make much of Jesus. We're going to make much of Christ this year. We're to show others how great he is. There's all kinds of ideas and perceptions. And some of you on campus or in your jobs or your neighborhoods, you know, you, you, you talk to people and, and, and maybe you present Jesus or you tell your testimony. And you, you begin to see that there's all these kind of ideas. Well, I thought it was this way, even growing up. I thought of Jesus, I thought of God in a different way than who he really is. Now, generally, I got it right. You know, I had heard enough good information that I kind of got the big picture right. But there are all kinds of things that were mixed in there through our society and our culture and people you meet and different ideas and philosophies out there. So what our mission is this year is to magnify, to present Jesus just as he really is. And that is exactly what Mary was doing in her song. It's a song of praise. Now, I noticed when I was reading through this that Elizabeth praises Mary. You are carrying Messiah. You are carrying this special child, and it's the Lord, and he is in you. So she praises Mary. But Mary deflects that, and Mary gives attention back to Christ. She worships the baby that she's carrying. This passage 
this song walks us through Mary's heart. Just the high praise of Jesus, this coming Messiah that had been waited for so long, the Savior of the world. The entire theme of her song is simply just to magnify Jesus. One of the things I see first in this passage and that, that I learned and was reminded of is Mary's humility. There is a reason why she, several reasons why she was chosen for this honor. Can you imagine? You know, she's going to carry the Savior of the world. And I know that some parts of the Christian church have overemphasized the um, importance of or the role or who Mary was and even almost sets her up on equal footing with Jesus, which she would never do. But Mary considers herself lowly and worships the one that she's carrying. And she's not artificial about that. I think that's one of the things that I'm so attracted to Mary about and that I just love her heart about. She says of God in verse 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. This is sincere language depicting the posture of Mary's heart. I think Mary was genuinely just this beautiful, unassuming young woman. And she's just before the Lord, a person God can trust. God is so attracted to and just loves real humility. And that quality was in Mary. Folks, get into the habit of examining the things that we say to try to sound humble and realize you'll be amazed at how impertinent we are. And we're good at it. We have become pretty skilled at sounding humble when we need somebody to pay attention to us or we want folks to see something that we've done and we don't just want to come out and say, am I not great at this? I know we have some who do. Maybe a musician or an athlete or just somebody that you live with who just says, I just need everybody to know. I'm the real, look at me. So, you know, we don't want to come across like that, so we figure out ways to do it humbly, to do it in an unassuming way, you know. And, and I don't know, you kind of pick up on that. Listen, never bother yourself with, with how what you say sounds humble to other people. Just be humble before the Lord. Just be humble before the Lord and let him be your all in all. I was in a conversation earlier this week and someone was talking about Ronald Reagan. We were going back and talking about when did you start voting. Uh, I think I first voted for Eisenhower, uh, but it it was after that. But uh, later in my year, uh, around college or after actually, I voted for Ronald Reagan. And one of the things um, that people close to him have mentioned is that when something really, really good would happen in in his administration, he would deflect it 
He'd say, oh, I had the best team. She made this happen. I just want you to look at her. She just did so good. Are these guys over here? They were the fuel behind that. They were the ones who did that. But when something would go wrong or a mistake would be made or something would fail, he would absorb it. He would say, I take responsibility for that. That's humility. Mary had that. And you can have, it's in you. It's in you to have that and to display that. There's only one relationship. There's only one relationship that matters. And that is your personal relationship to your personal redeemer. What he thinks is what's important. And I want you to know what he thinks. He already looks at you with compassion and with grace and mercy. And he is so crazy about you. He loves you so much, even on your worst day, even after your biggest failures, even on times when you would think, I'm so embarrassed to call myself a Christian or even look at him or even to expect anything from him. At that moment, his heart is for you. And he loves you and he likes you. He likes you. I always had this feeling growing up that God loved me because he was obligated to, because after all, he is God. But he probably didn't like me very much. One of the perceptions I had wrong. See yourself the way God sees you. You are loved. And you care. And when you think, that's all, I, that's all really I care about is what he thinks. And it's going to be easier to let go. Let everything else go. And not care so much about what everybody else thinks. We are so driven by opinions and reviews. Right? And even though, you know, a lot of us love, you know, social media, I was thinking yesterday that, you know, during the Spanish flu epidemic or other hard times and during the war and people are suffering and they're going through all these things, but there's this huge disconnect because they don't have Facebook. They don't have, you know, <laughs> the ability to communicate as easily over a telephone. They don't have Zoom. They don't have any of the things that we have. They don't have FaceTime. They don't have all this where we can stay at least somewhat connected. You know, they, they, just, they just felt so separated from one another. But one of the dangers of having that is that we're constantly being made aware of ourselves. And of course, we kind of want to put our best selves out there and we want to be impressive and we want people to like us. We want to be accepted. I get that. Sometimes we just continue and we begin to depend on that. You know, how many likes did I get with this? Or what were the comments about that? Listen, don't, don't let that dark side of social media or even in your relationships begin to be how you live and how you act out of your esteem. Your identification is in Jesus. And what he thinks is really what matters. Just let everything else go. One individual life may be of priceless value to God's purposes. And you may be that life. You know, Mary never dreamed that she would be used in such a profound way. That thought would never cross a girl like her's mind. 
I mean, can you imagine processing that and just trying, she's just trying to wrap her mind around it and just think, me? Have you ever had those moments where you think, me? What? They say me? They say my name? But Mary stayed humble about it. In fact, all the people, uh, you know, Jesus' life, and there's so many of these people who connected to him who had this, this attribute, this characteristic of humility. You know, when John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease in John chapter 3, verse 30. And we've, we've all used that, you know, that concept or that idea and we have this, this image about it. I want you to, to just remember something, though, that he was not talking just about himself. He wasn't being noble and he didn't find a rock to stand on and go, he must increase, I must. There was no drama about this. I think as much as himself or even more than himself as a person, John was talking about what he was preaching because he was so locked into and so connected to his message. He was not trying to appear humble and just say that, say, I need to look good and I need to say something, you know, kind of self-defacing so that, it, it, you know, it, it wasn't anything false about this. He wasn't just trying to look good in front of the congregation that he had. He was not exuding any kind of false humility so that he could point to Jesus. John the Baptist preached to Israel to repent back towards Moses because that had been his message. Remember, this is still the Old Testament. We've not gotten to the cross yet. Things have not been transferred. Jesus has not, you know, he is stepping into this picture. He's stepping into this role. So John is saying, I look back toward the laws of Moses, but I'm looking forward to Messiah. And then there was that day where he said, and there he is, behold. The old, teth, old, old covenant was still in full force because the cross hadn't happened yet. So every time he yelled, repent, <laughs> he was longing for Messiah to come. Do you get it? John wasn't attempting to get the approval, the approval of those people following him by appearing modest. He was expressing his own, and on behalf of a, of a nation and a world, this need for grace and truth, the need for Jesus. It's almost as if John was saying, let me go, turn me loose, release me from this old message and give me the new message, give me the new covenant, the new testament of Jesus. Another thing I see in Mary's heart and her life that, that I love is, is just her perspective. You know, this song has several Old Testament allusions and references and even direct quotations. And you're going to see that all through uh, this, this passage and other passages, there is a connection there. For instance, her song is very similar to Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2, those first 10 verses. You can go back and read that sometime. Mary's perspective of God is that he's faithful. Now, you've got to realize that Mary is this teenage girl who has you know, come along after 400 years of silence from God. But she said, I think he's faithful. I believe God is faithful. And she speaks 
you know, in, in these next few verses later on, she speaks of his faithfulness to his people Israel. Even when it must have seemed or, or felt like, but a question would come, has God forgotten? Did he forget about us? Well, he hasn't. And whether you're at home right now, and most of you are, or whether you're in this room, God sees your situation, your circumstance. He sees everything about you, and he has not forgotten you. Mary's perspective took into consideration God's power. This is an encouraging thought, especially if you're a first century Jew, and you have lived under and faced this harsh Leadership, even from your own people, you know, your own religious leaders, along with the oppression of the the Roman authorities. So in verse 51 and 52, it speaks of God's capacity to control these larger affairs, these events, humankind. Mary includes God's mercy as she emphasizes in the next few verses his care for is you just care for your people and you're always looking after your people. The allusions, uh, the quotations in this song, I had learned this several years ago, but it's one of those things you kind of put back in your mind and you really don't think about. But in the last couple of weeks in looking at this, I thought, wait a minute, that's in Psalms, that's in Kings, that's, that's, that's in this prophecy. That's it, this, the, the whole Old Testament. In fact, and I could be wrong. It may not be 100% accurate, but I think it's pretty close. I counted 14 direct connections to Old Testament prophecies and proclamations about the coming Messiah just in chapter 1 of the Gospel of Luke. Out of all the Gospels and everything that was written, just just, just packed into that first little chapter, 14 connections. God is faithful, and he's consistent, and he's merciful. I know a week or two ago, there was a little bit of hubbub in the news, in the media, about the fact that the, the traditional, you know, the, the cartoon production of A Charlie Brown Christmas, I don't understand exactly why, but that it was pulled from the general networks. I don't know if it was copyright, if it was ownership, or whatever it was. But it was kind of pulled away, Charlie Brown Christmas. And I think I've been watching that since I was just a little kid. And you kind of know the plot or the the scene, right? Charlie Brown is really frustrated over the commercialization of Christmas. And you got to think, this was in like early 60s (laughs) that this, this came out, I think in 65 maybe. And he struggles with what is the true meaning of Christmas. And he's finally reminded that it's about Christ. It's all about Jesus. It's not about stuff. As, as nice as stuff can be. And maybe you've already gotten on Amazon and you've made a list of your stuff and you're, you're looking forward to getting something. It's not about tradition. We have traditions we love and that connect us and that's fun and there's, there's something deep about that. You know, here even at Calvary, we have a few traditions surrounding Christmas and as Kevin mentioned earlier, we're going to have to change a couple of those this year. And there was just something emotional about, oh, we've got to let go of this, but we can pull this in. Traditions are special. These things, you know, they're, they're nice. But they're meaningless 
compared to the real reason behind Christmas. So if you're not leaving your home and you think, well, Christmas is going to look and feel very different this year because we're just kind of stuck at our house and we can't go do this or we're not going to be able to be with these folks, whatever. That's okay because as nice as that is, that's not Christmas. That's not exactly what it's about. It's all about Jesus. It's about the person of Jesus. We want to magnify him. We're here to make him big, not us. Not our holiday. So here's my challenge. Think of and then employ actual specific ways this year that you're going to magnify Jesus. How are you going to do that? What are you going to do next to magnify the name of Jesus?